0: That was Sister Elia Delio. She's a Catholic nun, a Franciscan sister. She's a teacher and an author, retreat leader. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand and join me in the Shema. We pray the Shema every week because Jesus would have done it every day, but. We pray the Shema in worship because Jesus would have heard the Shema and prayed the Shema before the scriptures were, le- were read. So before we read our scripture passage from the Gospel of Luke, will you pray the Shema with me? Let's pray together. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. At our house, we are beginning to receive Christmas greetings, letters, Christmas cards. And I don't know about you, but this year it seems especially important to me. I'm enjoying receiving Christmas cards, sitting at the end of a long day with a cup of tea and a stack of envelopes. There's nothing better But as I studied the scripture passage for this week, which is John the Baptist, I was especially glad that John the Baptist doesn't have my new address, because the Christmas card from John the Baptist would look like this. There would be snakes, and there would be fire, a lot of fire on this card, and there would be a tree with an ax at its root. Happy holidays. Here are these words from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, i I'm beginning with verse 7. Crowds of people came out to be baptized, but John said to them, You bunch of snakes who warned you to run from the coming judgment. Do something to show that you really have given up your sins. Don't start saying that you belong to Abraham's family. God can turn these stones into children for Abraham. An axe is ready to cut the tree down at their roots. Any tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into a fire. The crowds asked John, what should we do? And John told them, if you have two coats, give one to someone who doesn't have any. If you have food, share with someone else. When the tax collectors came to be baptized, they asked John, teacher, what should we do? And John told them, don't make people pay more than they owe. Some soldiers asked him, and what about us? What do we have to do? And John told them, don't force people to pay money to make you leave them alone. Be satisfied with your pay. Everyone became excited and wondered, could John be the Messiah? And John said, I am just baptizing with water, but someone more powerful is going to come and I am not good enough even to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His threshing fork is in his hand and he is ready to separate the wheat from the husks. He will store the wheat in his barn and burn the husks with a fire that never goes out. In many different ways, John preached the good news to the people. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. <laughs> well, I am slow to wake up in the mornings. I first recognized this when I was in college, and my college roommate said to me, uh, Dinah, you don't talk until after you've had your orange juice. And now it's a uh, Coffee. I don't talk until after I've had coffee. I need a really gentle alarm, one that starts kind of low and then gets louder and louder. I need enough time to snooze at least once. I need enough space to get up slowly, to stretch, to remember, you know, a pop of the shoulders and a peek out the window. Then I'm awake. I'm just slow to awake. But my husband, Keith, is different. Keith prefers a loud alarm, feet on the floor, and go. He's out the door. And I imagine that this would be John the Baptist's preferred strategy for waking up. Because John the Baptist just bursts onto Luke's stage in chapter 3 of the gospel. There's a rough, abrasive voice calling out in the wilderness, "'Wake up now. Let's go. No time to waste.'" At first glance, when I read these words, I imagine a coach on the sidelines unhappy with his athlete's performance, or maybe a drill sergeant startling recruits into action. But I'm not convinced that John the Baptist is red faced or yelling. You know, I know that there's a sense of urgency here, but what I recognize about John is that he is a preacher. When I read this scripture passage, I see that he is using tools of the trade. There's irony, there's hyperbole or exaggeration, there's self-effacement and criticism and anticipation, it's all in his sermon. For instance, he asks as he begins preaching, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Okay, no doubt that's a rhetorical question, but if he waited for a response, the right answer is this, you did, John, you You know, it's kind of like when I say things around the kitchen island in the middle of my kitchen, the altar of my home. Things like, who told you that food would be in the refrigerator? Or who warned you that dinner would be served at 630? This girl, this prophet, the smart one. If you just back up a few verses in chapter 3 of Luke, you find these words about John the Baptist. John the Baptist went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So he went into all the region, calling people to this repentance. When he asks the question, who warned you to flee from the coming judgment? Who called you to repent? It's him. John did this. And I'm also curious about the image of crowds in this passage, in this Bible story. John is preaching to a large crowd, or maybe several different times he preaches to a group of people on multiple occasions. Mentioned twice in this passage is the word crowd. And the crowd asks John, What should we do? You see, there's something appealing about his message. These aren't bystanders. They're not bystanders watching a deranged or an unpredictable man. These are joiners. They've gone out of their way to come to the wilderness. And they want to know what John knows. And they want to do something about what John knows. They ask him, what should we do? You know, there's more than just fear or fascination at work in the group of people that gathers around John the Baptist. John tells them, if you have two coats, give one away. If you have food, share. Be generous. Don't let the lie of scarcity or the attraction of greed rule how you work in the world. How you view the world. When the tax collectors come to be baptized, they also ask, what should we do? And the response is, don't make people pay more than they owe. Tax collectors were feared in the ancient world. Tax collectors worked for the Romans, and they paid in advance for the right to collect tolls. Their system was an arbitrary system. It was vulnerable to corruption, They were given quotas to meet, and anything that they gathered beyond that fixed amount, they could keep for themselves. So a tax collector could, and many would, prey on the vulnerable. John's instruction is simple. It's direct. It's really clear. Anyone who's accepting money to sustain a network, don't make people pay more than they should. Don't make people pay more than they owe. Don't profit from your position of power the next subgroup mentioned in the crowd is the soldiers the soldiers ask this question what do we have to do maybe the third time that it's asked is the charm soldiers have power they like the tax collectors were also feared they represented rome and john tells them don't extort people Don't make people pay you to leave them alone. Don't harass them. Don't stir them up. Don't profit from your position of power. What do we do? Be generous. Be fair. N.T. Wright tells about a cartoon of a skeptic shouting up to the heavens, God, if you're up there, tell us what to do. Back comes a voice feed the hungry, house the homeless, establish justice. The guy looks alarmed, just checking. The voice responds, me too. One of the lectionary preachers that I listened to each week was talking about the requirements of the faithful in Luke chapter 3, and he said, so it's share with those who have none and don't cheat and don't extort. It's kind of a low bar. It is. It is. We know how to act. (laughs) We know how the faithful people are supposed to act in the world. We know what's expected of us. It's rather fascinating to me that the tax collectors and the soldiers are in the crowd. On the one hand, it's encouraging because they are very unlikely candidates for discipleship, the tax collectors and the soldiers, but they show up in the wilderness They're eager to walk the path of faith, and they're not shut out. They're welcomed. John interacts with them as he interacts with the rest of the crowd. On the other hand, it's also instructive to me that they're included. The wilderness prophet calls me to release any grasp that I have on power, any grasp that I have on control, whether it's an excess of material goods or some grip of control I have in the system of which I'm a part. Not because it's better off if I'm denied the good stuff in life, the best of life, but because often what I perceive to be the best in life is not the best. It's just weighing me down. Have you ever traveled with someone to the airport whose bag weighs more than it should whose bag weighs too much and they don't want to pay the overage fee I haven't seen this post pandemic but I can remember what it's like what happens is you open up the suitcase right there at the check-in counter and you rearrange things and you take out a few things especially the heavy things that's what's going on here In the wilderness at the Jordan River this is the check-in counter to the faith journey and John tells people that their bags need to weigh a certain limit they've got a certain limit that they need to meet their bags are too heavy he's telling us to get light so that we can prepare ourselves to receive what's really important Keith and I watched yesterday morning the Blue Origin Shepard spacecraft launch. Uh, I think it was mid-morning because I did have a chance to wake up really slowly. (laughs) And then I went into the living room and we were watching the spacecraft launch. NFL star and celebrity Michael Strahan was on board yesterday. And he said that each person on board was allowed to bring a bag that weighed no more than three pounds. So in Michael Strahan's bag was a football jersey, um, a a, a ring, an award ring, and he had a football, an actual football in there too, and that that football is going to the NFL Hall of Fame after it's been to space. He was traveling light, as were the other people on board. One of the people who was sitting next to him on board yesterday was Laura Shepard Churchley, Uh, Churchley is the oldest daughter of astronaut Alan Shepard, and in 1961, he was the first American to travel in space, and a decade later, he walked on the moon. Now, I don't know what was in her three-pound bag or if she decided to take anything at all, but I de- did hear what she had to say before the spacecraft took off. She said this, I'm just excited to go into space and see what it's like. You see, I've been looking at the stars forever with my father, and now I get to go really close. That's Advent. That's Advent. We're getting to go really close to what we've been talking about. We're getting to receive something new from the one who gives really good things. It's kind of like what Sister Elia Delio said in the video. Advent is about our moving toward God and moving towards something that is already present and alive in our midst, the question then becomes, are we awake? Are we ready to receive it? Because we're getting really close. Are we open enough to receive what God has for us, or are we holding on for dear life to anything that we can control? Have you ever met someone whose preferred power structure is tangled up in their theology? Their preferred power structure is tangled up in the way that they think about God. Okay, this is another rhetorical question because I know the answer. (laughs) The answer is yes, you have met these people. I meet people regularly whose preferred power structure is tangled up with how they view God. I am one of those people. And Luke is aware of this problem. He's aware that it is an issue. He begins chapter 3 with a long list of the most important people, the most powerful players in the ancient world. There's Emperor Tiberius, there's Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, there's Herod. But it's not the one you might think, it's not Herod the Great, it's Herod his son, because Herod's three sons divide up the kingdom when he dies. You see, the fissures are already beginning to show in the fractured kingdom. And then there's the power structure of the church. The power structure of the temple is even named in this passage, the high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. These are all the snakes, (laughs) and we are the brood that John is preaching to. These are the players on the chessboard. And Luke picks up the chessboard, and he just simply wipes it clean. No chess players. None are necessary, he preaches. You know what? Not even a chessboard. We don't even need a chessboard here. There's no temple necessary, just wilderness. Luke takes us to the wilderness and the prophet preacher who is preparing people to receive God's newness, which is powerful. There is power involved here, but you see, it's a different kind of power than the one that I'm inclined to clutch. In fact, you can't even grasp this Holy Spirit power. It has no handles. So John advises, be generous, manage your money in ways that it's good for other people, and don't exercise power over people, exercise power with people. The people say, John, you are so wise. This is true wisdom. You must be the Messiah. And you know what John says? John says, no, no, I'm not the Messiah, I'm a nothing, I'm a nothing in the power structures, and that's the point. And he tells the people who gather at the Jordan River, you can be a nothing too. You should be a nothing too, because God can turn these very stones into daughters and sons of Abraham. The Messiah is coming, and the Messiah will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I like what Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says about this. He says that being baptized with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean goofy acting out. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit means that we are visited by a spirit of openness, a spirit of generosity. The Holy Spirit is energy that carries us to do things that we haven't yet done. The Holy Spirit is energy that carries us to do things we didn't know that we had it in us to do. Neighbor things, neighbor things that we have previously cringed away from. But we do them. We do these things because the Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit inspires and calls us to generosity and openness. And there's always potential for more. There's always potential for more generosity, isn't there? More goodness, less fear. For when we trust God and we trust other people, and that's exactly what faith is, trusting. When we lean into trust, the things that clutter our lives, the chaff is removed. It's taken away. It's burned away not bothering us anymore. Admittedly, I'm a child of the 1970s, and as I was reading this passage this week, I went back to a story that my teachers and my parents sometimes read me in the 70s, Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree. You remember this story? It comes to mind as the kind of tree that John the Baptist is holding up for people in the crowd. He tells them to bear fruit. Remember Silverstein's tree, it gives and it gives and it it gives until it's nothing but a stump. The tree gives its fruit, gives its branches, gives its trunk. And that's exactly what's needed. That's what's needed to make the tree happy. Now, I am not the kind of person to promise happiness, but I am the kind of person who's pretty good at waking people up. In fact, it's the chore that is usually given to me in the morning at my house. And here's how I do it. I usually give a gentle warning, like a snooze button. I go in and say, it's almost time to wake up. I'm going to wake you up in 10 minutes. And then I come back in with a kind word, favorite son, I say, he's the only. But I don't need to tell him that first thing in the morning. Then I go over to the window and I open up the blinds and I say, top of the morning to you, there's something really good waiting for you out there. I know that that's the truth every day and I know that it's the truth for us in our faith life as well. Will you pray with me? Lord God, you are ruler of the universe. Would you this day relieve us of all that burdens? Allow us to untangle ourselves from structures of power that we might share in the joy of your abundance Inspire and empower each of us to give generously this day, as you so generously give to us every day. We pray these things in the name of the one who gave everything, Jesus the Christ. Amen.